attack it. I mean, I guess like the easiest way to attack it, you can't really summarize it without bringing out your interpretation. Oh, we should introduce ourselves. <laughs> um, welcome to Refried Reviews, the uh, show where we take a second look at movies to see if they're worth taking a second look at. <laughs> um, I'm John. This is JP. And what are we talking about today, man? Uh, well, I decided for this week that we take a look at The Fountain. Um, since it had been quite a few years since I saw it, uh, from the sound of it, I, I thought I would torture you by making you watch it twice in quick succession. Yeah, guys, I've never seen The Fountain before <laughs> JP decided, and because the rule of the podcast are that you have to talk about movies you've seen twice, I watched The Fountain twice in two weeks. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, I know I watched it end-to-end in theaters. I, I've definitely seen bits and pieces since, but I couldn't swear that I've seen it between then and now. Yeah, it was a lot like a prostate cancer screening <laughs> in that, like, I'm glad I did it, Uh huh. but I wish I had waited a year between doing it. You wish you hadn't have been 40 and then 40 in six months when you yeah. decided to get the procedures. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, no, it was 40 in two weeks. <laughs> Was, as soon as you were able. Yeah, it was there is there is absolutely no way that a tumor could have grown <laughs> in my taint in that time. Uh-huh. A taint tumor. <laughs> They're cuter when you talk about them that way. I suppose so. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um so yeah, uh why why'd you do this to me, man? <laughs> uh well, I mean I shortly before we talked last time, I actually went to a, a Clint Mansell concert where he performed sort of the uh the big climax of the of the soundtrack and i hadn't seen it in a while and of course the 2001 they, part oh, yeah <laughs> and the and they had a lot of the visual effects in the background so it, it really sort of i don't know it, it hit home a lot of the the high climax points of the movie mm. so you know it's it sort of got it back in my mind real quick with all the showy parts especially so yeah 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 eh, that makes sense was the clint mansell show good yeah it was pretty yeah. cool um I hear uh, Aronofsky introduced the one in New York, but uh, Duncan Jones introduced this one. Oh, that's cool. I was like, hey, I saw yeah. a Bowie on stage talking to me. It was pretty <laughs> <All> cool. Bowie. <laughs> yeah. That's as far as I'm willing to go. <laughs> that's pretty damn cool, man. Yeah, I love... I've never seen Source Code, but I really, really like Duncan Jones. I mean, mm-hmm. I like Moon. Moon is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine Source Code is really, really good, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just stoked when someone's putting original science fiction on the screen that isn't based on a book or a movie that came out, you know, two or 20 or 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. Did you see Source Code? I did, yeah. yeah. Is it um, good? Uh, I enjoyed it. I'd say Moon is sort of the more must-see one. Mm-hmm. Source Code has a lot of sort of interesting ideas. Yeah. And any anything sort of experimental like that where, I mean, I don't know if you know that much about Source Code, but there's... Uh, it's like he's jumping back in time to like this one little window of time because some guy blew up a train and he's there to figure out who blew up the train. Yeah. And then he gets attached to the people on the train. He's like, I'm going to save him. And he tries to change the past and that doesn't go well. Yeah, that's sort of the main gist. And because of that, they get a little into the... Spoilers for Source Code, by the way. <laughs> um, but that's based on just me having seen the trailer. So I mean, it, it jumps in pretty quick. Yeah. Um. But sort of the uh, the almost Groundhog Day effect of how can we have fun with acting out this same scene in four different ways based uh, on context of the you know the protagonist, which I'm stoked for because Groundhog Day is awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, um, never gets old. Yeah, no, it's it's great. And if you read like the research that Harold Ramis did, like in going into Groundhog Day and all like the the ways he thought about all the different variations of what he put Bill Murray's character through over and over, like according to uh the what i've read like bill murray's character was stuck in that day 
for something like between 10 and 100 years. Really? <laughs> yeah, no, it was a really long time for him to live that day over huh. and over and over. Like, that's, you know, why the why Buddhists love that movie so much is that it's sort of this nice little metaphor for reincarnation. Like, you have to do this until you get it right. Um, until you can finally, you know, bone bone zone Andy McDowell. <laughs> um, Find your way to Nirvana. Yeah, which which happens to be between Andy McDowell's <laughs> legs. Who knew? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, speaking of Clint Mansell, actually, I one thing in particular I really liked about the movie and I didn't key in on it until the second time I watched it was the score. Mm-hmm. And like the way, instead of being all like movie-ish, you know, where like, oh, now it's serious. We're going to go to a minor key and all that. Like, it just took this really simple um, motif. Almost, did he also score Requiem? He did. Okay, yeah. so it's that same mm-hmm. thing. Like, that's a really simple motif that he just uses over and over and changes the arrangement and changes the dynamics to suggest, you know, this this rising action. Right. Um, and I found that way way more affecting than uh than something else because the fact that it's so repetitive kind of lets it um repetitive in a good way Mm -hmm. lets it kind of stay out of the way Mm -hmm. of the film and doesn't you know be like now i'm a movie score (laughs) and i'm telling you how to feel and i mean this this is a little bit inside baseball but the like the huge climactic track the big thing they use at the ending is called death is the road to awe yeah, which is the first thing they say in the in the uh spanish conquistador plot line yeah, no, like it's, the, the, thing, it's the thing, the flaming, yeah, he's like, death is the road to awe, and yeah. then he says something else, and then he so it, him, but then he turns into the star child, or, <laughs> <laughs> so it just feels like the, the music was sort of tied in, and the, all this layering that you're discussing, yeah. yeah, I feel like it was sort of a collaborative process. I mean, even the very first image in the film is, uh, if, if you, I don't know if you noticed, but, uh, the first thing you see is that, like, like sunburst cross thing that the conquistador has mm-hmm. but there's a very like real quick dissolve from black you see briefly uh the the big light vortex of shibulba um you know at the very end when they're mm-hmm. traveling towards the vortex of shibulba thing like mm-hmm. really quickly like you can kind of see the silhouette of that and then that dissolves in the other thing and like i didn't catch that until the second i was like oh look what were they what they're doing like we keep seeing that circular imagery over and over and over of this like star vortex that we're traveling towards sure um i mean even when when tommy creo the the present day hugh jackman is looking up at the ceiling when he gets the idea to get the chemical from the tree or whatever mm-hmm. um he's looking up at the ceiling and then like the moon is coming through the snow and it does the same thing and it kind of pulses in that way um hmm. so yeah that 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 seems to be sort of the visual through line of the whole thing mm-hmm. um which i thought was really cool but we should probably talk what what the damn thing's about if it's about anything yeah it's it's a tricky movie to discuss yeah. and as you said before we turn on the mics it's it's sort of hard not to immediately tie it to interpretation yeah. since it's a little vague how all this ties together which is something i i want to talk about towards the end is just how people tend to interpret movies because watching this i kind of realized a unique tendency on my part mm-hmm. in terms of just how i approach these ambiguous sort of films that uh, i'll i'll get to that later but before i do that i kind of want to unspool what what at least what is shown on the screen for 90 minutes. <laughs> fair enough. We can certainly describe the images. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think it's fair to say that there are three sort of concurrent plot lines. Yeah. One far in the past, one in the quote present, and then one in the distant future. Um, the past is Hugh Jackman as a conquistador uh, defending Queen Elizabeth in Spain. Is it, uh, or, uh, Queen something uh, in Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's shit. <laughs> um, 
and uh, so that's the 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 distant past timeline. I mean, is it is it made explicitly clear? I mean, they're searching for sort of the fountain of youth and eternal life, right? I mean, do they get too specific into do it? They, I don't remember if uh, if Father Tio Salamanca says it's... <laughs> uh, <laughs> you caught that, I did, you? yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, uh, if he says it's a tree we're looking for, uh-huh. um, I feel like that it's a tree comes up. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we're looking for a tree. Um, but I mean, it may as well be the fountain of youth. It's certainly, but there's it's, a it's thing an in the jungle. Life, yeah. Life there's a thing, thing in the jungle that gives you eternal life. Let's go get it. Right. Right. Because the Spanish inquisitions are coming and we need something <laughs> to fight them. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So that's the distant past. And then in the present, we have Hugh Jackman as a cancer researcher who is basically fighting to find a cure at the last minute for his dying girlfriend. Yeah. Is that fair? Easily the most affecting part of the film. Right, right. Like, yeah, that... that sort of the primary that. narrative. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's what ties everything. Everything Everything else is an outgrowth of the whole Hugh Jackman wants to cure his wife's cancer. Yes. Thing. And then the future, again, this is probably getting a little bit into assumptions just because it's so vague exactly what's going on. But it seems that... Hugh Jackman in the future is uh, completely hairless, for one. And also... Because why not? Yeah. <laughs> also, his uh, his dead wife's spirit seems to live inside the giant tree. Inside of a hairy tree. Yes, uh, quite a hairy tree. Yeah. And, As uh, trees go, <laughs> it's one of the hairier ones. And there's a whole goosebump react to touch kind of thing. So it's not just that it's like furry. It's like a human hairy tree. Yeah. And, uh, it's gross, <laughs> is what we're saying. It's gross. <laughs> and the, so the future plotline is, I mean, him basically trying to keep the tree alive while they're traveling towards uh, Shabalba in... In a in, magical bubble. Yeah, in, in an orb spaceship. I'll be kind. <laughs> I won't. It's a magical bubble. All right. <laughs> Um, but they're going towards it's something that uh, that early in the in the the cancer plotline the main one we see Rachel Wise who plays Hugh Jackman's wife stargazing and she's got this for some reason fascination I don't think it's ever made clear what she does for a living but we know she's writing a book about um, Spanish conquistadors and it becomes pretty clear that the book she's writing is the story of the conquistador right and. That uh, she is fascinated with Mayans and Mayan mythology, and she's stargazing and looking at this nebula up in the sky um, called uh, Shibulba, which is where um, the Mayans believed the afterlife was. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the future, the magical bubble is traveling with the tree towards Shibulba, um, because that's where they're going to live forever, is kind of what I got from that. Anyway. Yeah. Is that basically what it is? So I think that's... That's sort of the main gist of all three concurrent yeah. plot lines. Um, so, I mean, I guess just leaping into it, yeah. the it, it seems as though the so the past plot line is is her book, yeah, and the future plot line is. I, I mean, I guess we'll immediately get into spoilers because it's hard not to, and it's hard to spoil something that you don't necessarily understand. <laughs> but um, but so. As the as the current day plotline is sort of there are elements introduced uh, where the cancer treatment that they're attempting doesn't seem to be working, but it does unlock sort of a de aging component. Yeah. So they they found this exciting new line of research that seems to point towards extended life or in the long run maybe eternal life. Yeah. And then there's a, a thing where he buries the little tree pod near uh, his wife Izzy's grave. 
yeah, sort of yeah. introducing the idea of her merging with a tree. Yeah. So uh, presumably, whether it's um, whether it's symbolic or whether it's actually happening, it's you know the future of their relationship, where he's kept himself alive through whatever the research led to, and is keeping her spirit alive in a tree yeah. merging. Well, that was a question I had. I feel like it's made pretty explicitly clear that future Hugh Jackman is Tommy Crayo, the cancer researcher. Right. His, like, we watch him right after, spoiler alert, we, it, it's a twice-watch twice movie <laughs> review podcast. You know we're going to spoil it. I don't know why I keep saying that every damn episode. Yeah. Um, but after Izzy uh, dies um, after his, her funeral, he takes his little uh, fountain pen that she gave him and tattoos the wedding ring on him because early in the film, when they're, uh, when they're operating on that monkey, um, for their research, he puts his wedding ring in the scrub room and then comes back and it's gone. Mm-hmm. We don't know where it went. Um, so he tattoos it on there. And then in the future, we see that f- distant future Hugh Jackman has the same tattoo. Right. And, you know, cancer patient Rachel Wise keeps appearing to him. So I, I, I agree with you that we're supposed to assume that he somehow extended his own life um, and kept himself alive so that he could keep the tree alive. Um, maybe he did some kind of weird gene splicey thing with the tree. Right. And now the tree has, you know, an element of his dead wife kind of in it. And that's why it needs to go to Shibalba. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this all starts, starts to break down because <laughs> there's also that, that Mayan myth that comes up of first father mm-hmm. that first father was this dude who sacrificed himself and then a tree grew out of his body and his soul became the branches and his body became the roots and i mean i don't know enough about Mayan mythology to say if that's a real legend or just some shit darren aronofsky made up yeah i mean same here i just thought i'd also throw out that doesn't she give him a ring in the uh in the spain plot line yeah it's like the most important ring of all time so it's sort of uh, you know what it was grants some kind of important she just power. took it off a chain but what? doesn't she instruct him like she's the most important thing in the world to him and she tells him that this thing is vital and he needs to keep it with him yeah so isn't yeah, there yeah, sort yeah. of built up and importance? he can't wear it until yeah she okay past rachel wise spanish queen rachel wise mm-hmm. is kind of a bitch right she's kind of a manipulative <laughs> cock tease is what she is you know she's, what I mean? It seems like she's in trouble and she might be taking advantage of what she has left. <laughs> yeah, like she's looking at this conquistador and she's like, listen, all you got to do is traverse an ocean on a rickety sailing ship, walk <laughs> through a jungle, fight a horde of savages, and bring me the secret to eternal life. And then I'll totally do you. Yeah. <laughs> like, we'll be together. She says something like, we'll be together. You know, I'll be Eve and you'll be my Adam. Um, and then we don't see that he feels he, we see that he doesn't feel he has the right to put that ring on until after he's found that tree. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, now I can be her husband. He um, also doesn't even have a good army because every time they're pictured, they're running away. Or he has to the worst him. army. Yeah. No, it is the worst army since armies. Yeah. So he has a tough road to hoe. Yeah. Uh. They, they run away and then they just get riddled with spears. Like that's the first <laughs> thing that happens in the movie. It's just so many spears. And then he crowd surfs up to the temple. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Yeah. I don't know why the, the Mayans felt the need to bring the conquistador to the top. Maybe he was supposed to be a sacrifice. That was what I was thinking at the beginning. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, the very first thing we see is him and the two soldiers he has left. Like, okay, let's go take the temple. And there's a horde of Mayans and like his two buddies are like, fuck this. <laughs> and they run. And then, then the spears thing happens. And, uh, yeah, then he crowds her up to the top of the temple and I was like, oh yeah, they're going to, they're going to eat his heart now. That's what's about to happen. <laughs> um, but then that dude with the 
fucking amazing headdress that I want so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, pulls out a flaming sword. God knows where he was keeping that. Um, and then he goes to, to to swing it. And we see that over and over, that he's like going to take off Hugh Jack- Conquistador Hugh Jackman's head with the flaming sword. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where that story ends until the last 15 minutes when they kind of wrap that part up, right. I guess. And it's made clear that that was the end of her writing the story. Yeah, yeah. That was as far as Rachel Weisz got in writing the story. Um, so... And then she gives, when she's dying in the hospital, she gives the inkwell and the pen to uh, present-day Hugh Jackman and is like, okay, it's your turn to finish the thing. Which is And another thing that supports present-day Hugh Jackman also being future Hugh Jackman is we see he's been future Hugh Jackman when he's been in the magical bubble with the tree. Mm-hmm. He's been tattooing himself for centuries. Right. And he's been using that same little pen to tattoo himself for however long. And, and that's why he's covered in all these tattoos now. Aren't they rings around his arm? So it's kind yeah. of the rings of a tree symbolism oh, kind of stuff. I didn't even get that. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, it's, it's deep. Yeah. So the, I guess it's easiest to cover the future plot line since there's not a whole lot of content. It's primarily him talking through guilt with a hallucination of his wife. Um, him going through crazy little ceremonies on how to feed himself and the tree based on breaking up some bark. Yeah, he eats little pods of bark from the tree, and it keeps him alive. Yeah, it looks like quite an existence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Certainly not a torturous living hell at all (laughs) in the blackness of interstellar space. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so let's see. Where were we in the present day? Um, I guess she's getting sicker and sicker. Yeah. She's starting to lose her sensations. He finds her like out with her feet in the snow, and she doesn't even notice. Yeah, yeah. So clearly, as he's getting more and more stressed and and trying to make these treatments work, she's not helping at all by just dying faster. Yeah, yeah. That what bitch. A bitch. Let's <laughs> see. Yeah, and he, 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 like you said, like they, oh yeah, they, they, they've got the the first monkey is on the operating <laughs> table, um, <laughs> and I just think that's a funny sentence. Sure, and uh, they they've got him. They do something, and they uh, they're like, oh, the thing we were trying to do didn't work. I guess we better put this monkey down and go get another monkey. Um, they got lots of monkeys to go around. Uh-huh. They're fine on monkeys, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, they uh, just as they're about to do that, Hugh Jackman's all like, "Oh wait, there's that compound from that." He's staring up at the ceiling um, and seeing the the uh, the star vortex imagery in the ceiling with the moon coming through the snow. And he's like, "Oh wait, we got that weird compound from that tree in Central America again, tying back to the Conquistador story." And there's this tree, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh yeah, let's totally try that and mix it with some other thing." Um, I didn't really get that. They were just like, science, science, it just might work. Right. <laughs> and then they inject it, and that's when the monkey starts de-aging. And he's like testing the well, but his tumor has not stopped growing. Mm-hmm. And Hugh Jackman's all like balls. And he's he basically says, we've got to try something else. Um, you know, we've got to stop the tumor growing. And it becomes really clear that he's trying to save his wife's life. And I found this to be easily the most affecting part of the film Mm -hmm. like there are parts of it especially magical bubble land that didn't really work for me Mm -hmm. but i thought that the film really succeeded by wrapping everything around this really touching well-acted human story like we can all understand that desire um to just like you know i've got to find something to save this person i love and it helps that rachel wise is a little blank slate lovable but fairly lovable like we don't learn a whole lot about her beyond 
that she's she's got a little bit of like the terminally ill manic pixie dream girl thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, like she could have been played by Zoe Deschanel in seven years, right? Right. Um, <laughs> but you know, she's still likable enough um and then you know Hugh Jackman just keeps fighting and fighting to save her and he's more and more powerless because you know death is a little um uh, inevitable well it it did seem to me that the sort of the connection between them was almost underplayed because so much of the movie was about the sort of the dilemma of life like that of do I spend more time with her while I can or do I fight and neglect her mm-hmm. in the hopes of keeping her alive longer? So I, I did wonder if if that was almost intentional, how little sort of romantic interaction there is between them. Cause like the where they're both in the bathtub is the only scene I really recall where they seemed happy that didn't end in one of them snapping at the other or like it's it's clear there's collapsing. a lot of right. Yeah. <laughs> it's clear there's a lot of turmoil going on. It doesn't mm. seem like there's even that many happy times. Yeah. By the by the point we see this couple. Yeah. It's it's gotten bad for them, yeah. Um yeah. in a really believable way. Like I mean that's that's an incredibly stressful thing for for, you know, a couple to go through no matter how strong their bond is. Yeah. And they played it really believably that like you get that this is really difficult and this might be straining the relationship to the breaking point, but you also get that they at least used to be really good. You know, mm-hmm. everything used to work really well for them. And something, cancer, has happened. <laughs> um, like cancer do. Yeah. And, you know, it's 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 kind of torn them asunder because of that uh, dilemma that Hugh Jackman has. You know, we keep seeing there's this one scene where um, Rachel Wise comes to his uh, office and he's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, it's the first snow. We got to go walk in it. Mm-hmm. Apparently that's a thing they do. And um, he's like, no, no, I got to go cure cancer. And she's like, fine, you know, uh, (laughs) suck my balls and walks out the door. (laughs) And um, I'm dramatizing a little bit. Sure. Um, And then he goes and tries to cure cancer and the rest of the movie plays out. And then at the very end, whenever uh, future Hugh Jackman's in space and he meets, um, you know, the ghost of cancer patron Rachel Wise and also Spanish queen queen Rachel Wise Mm -hmm. and uh, then he has that moment that I want to talk about because I didn't get it Mm -hmm. where he's like I'm going to die I'm going to die and he's like all stoked Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was kind of weird but uh, yeah then he goes back and he he doesn't go operate on the monkey he goes outside and he kind of figures out that I that he's got to enjoy those moments mm-hmm. because that's all he really has. And that it's kind of a fool's errand to try and make yourself immortal so you can have, you know, infinite moments, which I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much, you know, I was reminded of someone once asked Woody Allen if he'd like to achieve immortality through his work. And he said that he'd prefer to achieve immortality by not dying. Um, <laughs> I'm with him. Huh. Like, I mean, if you, like, if you can become immortal, then you get to enjoy all the moments mm-hmm. forever <laughs> like just uh, that sounds okay <laughs> just a complete non sequitur mentioning uh woody allen is i listened to someone who's worked on dvd extras for mm-hmm. years and years and uh the interviewer asked sort of celebrities they've worked with and they mentioned woody allen and they said that woody allen basically hates that you can own his movies in your house yeah i've heard that like that the the idea of him recording a commentary or something is ridiculous because he wishes that you had to go to a theater. <laughs> yeah, he 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 really wants to really aggressively curate the experience from what I've heard and like control it as much as possible, which like Woody, 
I get that if you were making like <laughs> space opera or something that like needed to be big, uh-huh. but like it's basically unrealistically wealthy white people in Manhattan having problems, <laughs> right? Like. I, just, I don't think your films really benefit that much from being blown up on the big screen. Well, that's that's the thing. I thought it was an interesting kind of dichotomy of, so you'd rather have fewer people experience it the way you want rather than having it be sort of open and obviously way more people will see it if it's yeah. freely available. Yeah. No, I think that that viewpoint, um, like Woody Allen, mm-hmm. is going to be dead in the next decade or so. <laughs> um that got a little dark. Sorry, um, <laughs> doesn't bother me. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean that that this, that this goes into a larger issue, and I'd love to hear your viewpoint on it because you know we're we're, we're a group of web savvy dudes. Mm-hmm. Is you know does does that is that a fool's errand to try and have that much control over how someone experiences your art at this point? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think I think you should you should use whatever sort of judgment you think is necessary but i don't think restricting it is ever realistic Mm -hmm. so like you can say yeah i'd I'd like it if people would buy the blu-ray and watch it on a big screen and so they can really take it all in or whatever and i think that's totally fair and you should be able to say that's how you that's how you would like it to be seen that's how you view it as a as a piece of art but if you start getting into like people can't watch it this way and people can't use it that way that that's sort of where i take issue I think the intent is fine, but yeah. once it goes beyond your opinion, I think it's a little silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 something you can, like you said, it's something you can put out there. You can put on the Blu-ray, like, this is my preferred version of the film. It's even like when uh, when Frank Darabont released The Mist. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, he's got on the special edition DVD and the Blu-ray um, a color version and a black and white version. And he says, like, I would consider the black and white version to be the canonical version of the film. And, you know, when I watch The Mist, and I watch The Mist kind of often because it's awesome, yes. um, I watch the black and white version. Um, I haven't seen the color ones since it was in theaters. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, both versions are fine, but the black and white one, you know, I, I try to have a little bit of respect for how Darabont wanted me to watch the movie. Um, but he also knows that, like, you know, I've got this other version over here that I can, you know, give a try to. And I think that's where things are going to move. I think... Um, there's a whole generation of people coming up that, uh, you know, like I'm talking about like people who are like four and five now Mm -hmm. who aren't going to get the idea of media you can't interact with. Mm -hmm. I read a really interesting article uh, a couple days ago by Clay Shirky, um, who basically was talking about, uh, and this is, this is getting way off of the fountain, but we'll, we'll come (laughs) back guys. Um, cause this is cool. Mm-hmm. It, he was talking about how in the 20th century, basically, um, things like unionization and weekends, um, in the eight hour workday created, you know, leisure time, which is something people didn't have before. And the thing that filled that leisure time that like took up that huge cognitive surplus for the longest time, because we couldn't figure out what to do with all that time was sitcoms. Um, hmm. people just watch TV mm-hmm. because like they had to sync all that time into something and, you know, people didn't know what was going to happen. So we just all kind of went to that and just watched Gilligan's Island or whatever. And now we're starting to find things to do with that time. Like, um, I forget, I, I think it took about 100 million hour, man hours to create Wikipedia, mm-hmm. as it is. And we watch enough television, and I'm not saying don't watch television, <laughs> but we watch enough television in America in one year to make 2,000 Wikipedias. Oh, wow. So, like... If 1% 
of that uh, energy gets turned over to something like a Wikipedia. I mean, we're looking at 200 Wikipedias mm -hmm. every year. Like, that's a huge, huge thing. And, you know, that, that energy is going to go everywhere. It's going to go everywhere from Wikipedias to Lolcats to playing World of Warcraft and being in a guild. Um, and all of those things, you know, how, however much you want to make fun of people who play World of Warcraft or people who make Lolcats, those people are participating in something. Mm -hmm. They're not just consuming. They're, they're changing something and creating an experience for themselves and for other people. Um, and this article, uh, Shirky closed by saying, you know, he had the most telling moment that, that told him he was right was when he was sitting with his four-year-old niece and they were watching Dora the Explorer. And she got up and looked behind the TV and was just sort of looking around at it. And of course, they had the same thought. You have a little kid like, oh, maybe she thinks Dora's really back there and she's checking. And they said, what are you doing, honey? And she, she said, I'm looking for the mouse. <laughs> nice. Because she knows that a screen that doesn't ship with a mouse is broken. Mm -hmm. You know, she has this expectation, like, I'm going to interact with this. I'm going to share this content. And if I can't, I'm not interested in it. I mean, so, the PlayStation 4 has the share button on the controller. <laughs> on the controller. Yeah. Like, God only knows what it's going to do. But <laughs> it's there, and it says share, you know. Well, I, I have a couple different friends in the home video industry that mm -hmm. where when I ask them, like, so is streaming taking a major chunk out of DVD? Like, is that sort of how everything's looking? And they said, surprisingly, it's just people not watching movies. Hmm. Like, streaming doesn't help and everything, but when you really try and add up all the numbers and see, okay, where is the stream of people that aren't buying home videos? Where are they going? A lot of it is just, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all these things. They yeah. eat up time yeah. in a way that 10 years ago, there weren't 50 different ways to fill time if you were sitting at home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was always in the mid-90s, you would just always reach for a VHS. I mean, that's why, like, I remember my aunt when I was a kid. She probably still has them. She had every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation on VHS mm -hmm. like she bought the, con the collection <laughs> and she had this big library in her in her house and it filled like four or five shelves like big ass bookshelves <laughs> like library style uh, on the wall bookshelves mm -hmm. of just like VHS after VHS like three episodes to a tape um you know star treks and yeah like that was what you'd do back then you'd pop in a tape and you just you'd just get beamed into your eyeballs mm -hmm. um but now like you said i mean the the internet gives us a trillion different things we can be doing with our time and most of them involve putting something out there and you know most of that putting something out there is useless bullshit mm -hmm. but some of it's not like there's a guy in brazil who's making a wiki crime map where basically every time someone hears about a crime you go on his map you drop a pin and tag it and then you classify it like an assault happened here a robbery happened there um you know etc cetera, etc cetera. um and what he says is like yeah the authorities might have this data, but um, it would take too much for me to get it from them. Mm -hmm. um, they're not forthcoming with it, and it's easier for me to just collect it. So now everybody, you know, they're sharing a little thing online every time they hear something, and he's ending up with this pretty comprehensive map of what crime looks like and what the really dangerous neighborhoods are in, like, Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, that's um, really interesting. You know? And that's just one little place where we're taking that cognitive surplus. So Woody Allen... You're wrong. You've never been more wrong. You're a great filmmaker. I think Annie Hall and Manhattan and even even later stuff like Vicky Cristina Barcelona, really great films. Your ass is wrong about this. <laughs> yeah, you know. having having any sort of uh, be-all and end-all control 
is ending. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which, you know, actually can tie into uh, like what we were talking about earlier about, you know, people interpreting ambiguous films like The Fountain, you know. Um, I mean, so so to get into the basics of the ending, um, you know, we, we see uh, Rachel Wise dies mm-hmm. and then her funeral happens and uh, what we heard right, like, in, in, in a little bit of a contrived moment, as she's dying in the hospital room, Ellen Burstyn, who plays uh, Dr. Hugh Jackman's um, <laughs> uh, like colleague at the Monkey Research Lab, mm-hmm. um, she shows up and she's all like, oh, by the way, the tumor started shrinking like eight hours ago. No one told you? And he's like, <laughs> balls! Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who knows if they could have saved her or whatever, but um, but yeah, like as like within minutes of his wife dying, he finds out that like he was totally right and he should have used the weird tree chemical on her in the first place. Yeah, it does feel a little unnecessary from a narrative point of view. Yeah, you couldn't have him get a phone call like nine hours later. Like, just separate <laughs> that a little bit. Like later in the day. Come <laughs> on, guys. Um, and then uh, he goes to the funeral, he's all sad, and he comes back to the lab, and I feel like the last like big narrative beat we get from the, the monkey research lab is him coming in and being like, stopping aging and stopping death, that's our goal. Um, I need you to go do this thing, you to go do this thing, and you go to you to go do this thing. Ready, break, and then they all go and work. And like we kind of end that with him being on this quest to kill death, basically. Right. And then we flash forward to the magical bubble, which has been steadily going towards Shibalba, and it's been getting prettier and prettier. And one thing I didn't know that, that was really cool, Darren Aronofsky in creating all like the nebula effects and the space stuff, there are no visual effects in it. Yeah. Like he wanted it to be timeless, so it's all like composite micro photography of like, you know, just paint and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's gorgeous. Yeah. You know. So neat things definitely happen when you delay your movie a couple of years and have your budget slashed multiple times yeah yeah Yeah, that's something we haven't even talked about you want to go into the production history a little bit uh i mean i don't know that much about it other than he had a hell of a time getting it made which Mm -hmm. sounds like aronofsky's sort of usual uh pursuit of a movie his deal yeah Yeah. um but was it brad pitt who was initially brad pitt and kate blanchett Mm-hmm. And the budget was $75 million. I can't imagine throwing $75 million at this. <laughs> Good God. Well, like, sort of on that I note. I hope you don't care about seeing that money again. <laughs> well, sort of on that note, I, I thought it was funny. The I, I specifically remember seeing it in the theater. And there was like a Sweet 16 birthday party or something that came in. And like... Holy shitballs. This is all speculation. But, you know... It, it had to have been one of the girls loved Hugh Jackman. Yeah. So all the friends got together to take him to this thing without having any idea of what it was. Oh my God, that's beautiful. But just such a such a giggly, high energy group until like three minutes into this movie. And then they just sat there stone faced. Uh, yeah, and then it was you could probably hear tears hitting the carpet of the theater. <laughs> oh look, our own mortality. <laughs> oh, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. I only started getting boobs like nine months ago. <laughs> oh, it's sorry, that, ladies. It's that heartthrob I love, and he's in love, except it's with a dying woman and coming to terms with being alone. <laughs> Why is he in a bubble for 500 years? <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, you just made my day. Um, yeah, so uh, we, 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 we move from there to the ma- back to the magical space bubble, and he's approaching Shibulba more and more. And there was a weird moment where the tree kind of dies. Yeah, it seems like you really can't catch a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
he's kind of Charlie Brown in space, right down to being bald. Um, like, why'd the tree die? And did the tree actually die? Uh, I mean, that I couldn't really tell you. Um, was that moment just there to just make us feel a little bit more tension and put kind of a clock on on the magical space bubble? I mean, because there was no need for that, Darren. That may have been it. I I have sort of a hard time grappling with the overall meaning of this. I can't imagine why. But um, I, I hopefully this isn't just me projecting all my personal issues into here transparently. But I feel like the movie has a lot to do with men's stubbornness mm-hmm. to be frank like with, totally it seemed like all three plot lines that was sort of a major through line connecting them yeah was it it's someone who's sort of single-minded in their vision almost to the point that they're they're disregarding the woman that they're doing it for yeah. like it seems like he's just chosen a goal and he's doing everything he can even if sort of the context no longer makes sense for it. Yeah. Which I think is why, like, the tree dying right as they approach their final destination. But but shortly after, he seems to come to the realization that it's okay to die. Yeah. So it's not necessarily the tragedy that he lost her right beforehand. It's that it took him until the end of the universe to figure out that it's okay for him to die. <laughs> so, like, it's... I don't think that necessarily makes it happier, but I think it makes more sense in that context where it's not a race against time and everything will be okay if they both yeah. make it. It's the journey of of a man across multiple stories of time and space coming to the same realization that his girlfriend did, that it's okay. Yeah, and I guess when you put it that way, the whole magical space bubble thing does feel a little bit more like the last desperate act of a desperate man mm-hmm. because like... We're never really clear on what is going to happen when he gets to Shibulba. Like all, I think what what we're told is we're going to get there. The star is going to die, and then it's going to explode, and that's going to somehow make everything okay. And like we're going to be forever. together somehow. We're going to be together forever. Right. Yeah, like it doesn't. Like at first, I thought this was just artiness and ambiguity. But you saying that makes me think maybe Hugh Jackman just hasn't thought through this plan. Right. Like you know, he he's he's just sort of okay. You talked about a star centuries ago. Whenever uh, whenever you know we, uh, we we started this little journey. Now now that we've got this magical space bubble technology, because I've been alive for several <laughs> hundred years, um, I guess I'll you know throw my hat in that ring, mm-hmm. see what happens for me. Well, I mean, it does seem like in, in the first plot line, he doesn't quite get it because he ends up plants at the end. He does sort of plants. guzzling the sap from that tree. And then in the in the second part of the movie, he still doesn't seem to quite get it. Which, by the way, did you get a little bit of a Last Crusade vibe from that part? I mean, it it definitely seemed like a you don't know what you're playing with kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that's a similar vibe. I mean, yeah. do you mean more than that? Or? No, just just like it seemed like a similar sort of thing. <laughs> so of... This is so awesome. Everybody watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As soon as he started guzzling the, the, the tree <laughs> semen, because um, that was not sap. It was a milky white substance coming sure. out of a tree. Um, so what happens is he, he, he got stabbed by the crazy headdress priest, and he, he takes a little bit of the tree jizz and puts it on his wound, and that cures the wound in a way that's really similar to how Sean Connery's wound got cured in Last Crusade. And in not a, to mention similar to some kind of mutant healing factor that he might have. Maybe. Vestiges who, in his DNA. Who knows? <laughs> um... <laughs> So then he's like, wow, that worked great for my wound. 
I bet it would work great for everything else. <laughs> so then he just cups his hands and starts guzzling this like thick, gluish paste that's pouring out of this tree. I like the word viscous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's gross, is what we're saying. <laughs> it's way gross. <laughs> and um, he uh, um, is like, oh, wow, this is great. And then he, he goes and he's like slowly going to put the ring on because he's finally earned the uh, the love of his maiden fair, the Queen of Spain. And then some flowers come out of the wound he healed earlier. And he's like, that's weird. <laughs> and then he falls down. And as as you said, he's plants. Yeah. <laughs> um, he becomes plants. And that's it for him. Which I guess like is... I took as, you know, okay, you're going to live forever because you're part of this big web of life. Sure. And that's how you live forever. What, you thought you were going to keep your body and just be a dude walking around for eternity? Ha! Nice try, asshole. Yeah, it's sort of like a short-sighted view of what we mean by life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's sort of the end of the Conquistador story is he's plants and the tree stands and it's just sort of an... It, it was a very Twilight zone sort of ending, I thought, mm-hmm. um, in, in the nice try-asshole sense. Well, and the... So that, that whole sequence, the sort of the conclusion of the Conquistador stuff is presumably his ending because she never wrote that part of, of the story. Yeah, yeah. And that's intercut with as they're traveling towards Shibalba. So that's... That, that a lot... That to me is is sort of how it ties in with he finally understands a lot of what she was getting at mm. is the reason that we're seeing the the finale of the conquistador story is because as he's approaching his death the, he's the ending it. snaps into place for him and he understands what she was trying to get at which oh, is why cool. the the story was also kind of of him failing <laughs> and it helps him come to his final realization. So while he makes his little mini bubble in front of the magical space bubble as he's going towards Shibulba like what we're while he's meditating mm-hmm. um that's what that's what's in his head is basically what you're saying. These, he's these writing are all, the ending. These are all the things that he's been mulling over for his life of after you know being so dedicated to this woman and yeah. and now he's alone and just trying to reconcile everything that happened with her. Yeah, yeah. with this quest. <laughs> no, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, I, I, I like that interpretation a whole lot. Um, you know, the uh, I, I went online and read some interpretations of the film, and uh, Roger Ebert had a really interesting idea, um, and that was that uh, the future is the ending that pr- that cancer researcher Hugh Jackman wrote, but none of that happened. Um, oh, interesting. That he he wrote this thing about a ma- about. Uh, basically himself going and finding the tree and then taking it to Shibulba because it was dying and it needed um, whatever it needed. Mm-hmm. Um, because basically what happens is future Hugh Jackman gets, they get to Shibulba, Shibulba dies in front of them. He's gone to meditate like in his little mini bubble in front of the tree and then just light pours out and kind of obliterates him mm-hmm. in this kind of glorious oblivion that was really cool looking, I gotta say. Yeah. And then the glorious oblivion hits the tree and the tree sprouts anew and it gets huge for a second and then it's consumed by the light as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess... You know, I was going to say something, but I don't know what the hell that means. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, he he seemed to come to some sort of large realization as he was being blown apart. So I'm yeah. sure there's plenty of Buddhists like you know um, Nirvana, and he was transported, and yeah, and there are there are lots of themes that we could tie into that. I'm sure. Yeah. Man, I'm liking this movie more as I talk about it. I got to say, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that that's an interesting thing that's happened to me and happening to me <laughs> in this moment. Like mulling over this film, I'm like, oh yeah, there is there is some cool stuff and some good themes. I mean. I think the thing that turned me off on it mm-hmm. was that 
so much of the aesthetic, especially in Magical Space Bubble Land, is that uh, sort of visionary art, jam bandy, like blacklight poster type shit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have a real negative knee-jerk reaction to that. Like, I, I kept thinking watching it, like, man, if they had just gone the David Lynch route and, like, put this, like, put the tree in a living room for no real reason, <laughs> I, I'd have a much easier time buying this for uh-huh. some reason. Like, if you had just gone kind of Dolly and just juxtaposed it instead of making it this really overt, now we're getting cosmic mm-hmm. sort of thing, I think I'd like that a lot more and I'd have a much easier time concentrating on the content. That says more about me and what I don't like in films, which mm-hmm. is weird because I really like the end of 2001, mm-hmm. um, which is basically the same sort of imagery. Right. Um, but I think it's because that's the first time anybody did that. That, you know, it, it, I found a lot of the imagery that was thrown at us toward the end to be pretty hackneyed, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, in terms of it being in love with its own imagery a little bit, uh, one of the first things I wrote down in my notes when, when watching it for this was during the Mayan temple sequence, I, I was really loving the score, and I jotted down this would probably be really slow and boring without the score. Yeah, where like it, it really it did seem like they were sort of going for an all around experience. Where if it doesn't strike you a particular way, it's like this is this is moving along at a glacier's pace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know it actually does kind of move. Uh, mm-hmm. It's 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 a pretty economical little story, almost to the point of being a fable. I mm-hmm. mean, um, which probably is a consequence of the fact that they have three stories to tell. Right. Um, and, you know, we haven't even talked about, like, the whole Spanish Inquisition scene where, like, they drop those dudes and, like, <laughs> what the in- Grand Inquisitors sort of um, represents in the context of the whole mortality debate. Um, because he's got, you know, a very Western take on mortality where, uh, you know, they've they there's that scene where he's sitting in his throne and he's surrounded by the black hooded clansmen and uh, <laughs> then the bald dudes and they've got all those people they're hanging from their feet who have like confessed to being heretics mm-hmm. and the Inquisitor says something like, you know, um, don't worry, you won't be alone in hell. I'll make sure there are plenty of people there to hang out with you or mm-hmm. something. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Right, right. But, um, and then he drops them to their deaths. Um, Look like about a third of the production budget. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Um, it, uh, you know, he's he's got that very Western take on uh, on mortality, and that again, this is where the movie starts to lose me because I hear myself saying things like Western take on mortality, mm-hmm. and I get a gross metallic taste in my mouth, <laughs> and red appears in the fringes of my vision. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can't stand that watching people uh, kind of reho that row. Mm-hmm. I guess to to torture a metaphor. I mean that um, it's sort of a generic philosophical debate. Yeah, in the middle like, of this movie, it's so freshman philosophy class. I see. Like we we we've all had this discussion. We all smoked weed when we were nineteen, <laughs> and we sat and we talked about this shit. You mm-hmm. know, like what if every atom has a universe in it? Like, yeah, maybe, but who gives a shit? Right. Um, like. And that's why this part of the movie that worked the most for me was just this this human story of, you know, this guy figuring out that, you know, he needs to, you know, just sort of enjoy the moments while they're there. Mm-hmm. As soon as it started trying to connect that with a larger viewpoint, um, I, it, it lost me. Like, all the shit of, uh, of future Hugh Jackman meditating in space, you take that out of the movie, and I enjoy it probably 35% more. Mm-hmm. Um, because you haven't tied your point to this imagery that I find so 
again, hackneyed. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's just, it's not that I have anything against Buddhism or as a system of thought or anything like that. It's just like, we all know we've all had this talk. Like, mm-hmm. why are we talking about this right now? You know, anyway, that's me. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, sort of the only thing I can think of that's similar to that would be, as you mentioned earlier, the, um, repeated scenes of Izzy asking, um, whether time will go hang out with her mm-hmm. and then him mostly refusing her. But then one towards the end, he, he goes with her. Yeah. Of, I was, I was sort of trying to think of what is that conveying exactly? Like, is there a reincarnation thing going on and he's getting slowly better or is it uh, a matter of with a finite number of atoms and infinite time, uh, you know, all mm. events that are possible will happen eventually. Yeah. And I just sort of settled on there wasn't really enough content there, f- at least in my opinion, to imply one way or the other. Yeah. So yeah. I did, like, I thought it was interesting, sort of the idea of them being these important crux moments where it's this way or that way. But I didn't think there was really enough content surrounding it to imply that it had a point. I think it was a lot like the Conquistador story in that it was just kind of in Tommy's, in future Tommy's head. You know, he has the conquista, uh, has the queen of Spain appear to him. Um, and he, she, she kind of says, we'll be together forever. You know, I can die. And he kind of realizes, I guess what she's trying to say when she says, we'll be together forever. And he says, I can finally die is, oh, wait, like I'm going to be reduced to the component stuff of the universe. And you're already that. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were never really apart. And mm-hmm. that idea of apartness I have, again, is a very Buddhist sort of idea. Mm-hmm. This idea of apartness that I have is just an illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as I let go of it, we're already together forever. Um, and then him going back and having that, that replaying that and going outside with her is just kind of him rewriting the past in his head and saying, like, this is, you know, I'm going to, you know, give myself this little fiction. Mm-hmm. Um and and let myself live in that because that's what I should have done and you know what I'm out here in space um no one's gonna know <laughs> <laughs> the rest it, of humanity is presumably dead at this point I'm pretty sure he's the last person it seems that way yeah I mean I'm pretty sure everything went Krypton <laughs> and this is pretty much all that's left <laughs> um so yeah that's uh that that that's kind of how how I took the whole thing um I mean uh, what. Bleh. <laughs> There's just so much. Oh, yeah. I remember what I wanted to talk about was the, the Roger Ebert interpretation versus others and how that ties into the whole participatory media thing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think this movie would succeed as... I I think this movie would do much better now than it did when it was released even five years ago, mm-hmm. um, especially in terms of generating uh, just sort of a cult fan base and robust online discussion. Mm-hmm. I think if someone marketed it with uh, a really aggressive eye towards people wanting to talk about the film afterwards, then uh, they could do really well. I mean, even if something like, you know, uh, this is, this is just off the top of my head. It's kind of a stupid idea, (laughs) but if somebody put out, you know, a poster that said like, you're going to want to talk about this movie when it's done, Mm -hmm. here's a website where you can do that. You know, trust us, you're going to want it. Mm -hmm. Um, first off it tells people like what's going on in this movie that I'm going to want to talk about. So they go see it and then they're going to want to talk about it. They go there and there's, there's just a community there for them. Mm-hmm. Um, got hashtag Shabalba. Hashtag Shabalba. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> um, you know, that, that could be an interesting thing, thing to see. I mean, I, I think, 
because the, the first thing I wanted to do was see what other people thought of it. Because I guess what I was going to talk about earlier was I don't tend to, when I'm watching movies, do the dot connecting. I just kind of like, I mean, now that we're talking about it, I'm having a lot of fun, like going, okay, well, why, you know, why was future Hugh Jackman in the magical space bubble? And what did this mean? And what did that mean? But mm-hmm. I guess the thing that really washed over me more was the thematic significance of it. And okay, this is about him learning to live in the moment. And this is about him, uh, you know, this is about him being, uh, realizing the futility of immortality and the folly of his quest. Um, uh, you know, speaking of the conquistador and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't really look for narrative ways to fit things together. And I mean, are you like that? Am I, am I alone in this? Um, I mean, I will say that a lot of the, the conclusions I came to about, that this is a very sad story about someone taking his entire unnaturally long lifetime to learn a single lesson. I think that I got... You just the- brought me down, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I got I got the very broad strokes of that after watching it the first time, but it was it was definitely much more the feeling that I got from it than necessarily plucking out uh, points from the plot. So are you doing that work while you watch a movie? Um, probably not the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's part of the reason why, like why we, we wanted to start talking about movies after you've seen it multiple times, because, because yeah. the first time is so much about just getting a feel for what it is. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's so hard to, to simultaneously be like, okay, these are the themes being discussed and this is their exact thoughts on it. Like it's yeah. a lot to take in with one viewing, yeah. especially something as vague as this. So, I mean, yes and no, but I feel like the the second time through, I'm much more closely seeing like, okay, what elements are tied to what themes and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and doing a little bit of that sort of narrative dot connecting mm-hmm. um, later on. Um, I mean, I guess this is a movie that I, I think I'd have enjoyed more, honestly, if I had thought more about it between the first and second viewing. Sure. With something besides a creeping dread um, <laughs> and having to, to kind of slog through it a second time. Uh-huh. Um, because it really, like, if you're going to watch this movie again, guys, like, wait a year. Like, <laughs> it really is not a fun experience the second time around within two weeks. I mean, I'll say I enjoyed it. Uh, what seemed to me like more this time, I mean, uh, it was, you know, almost 10 years ago now, yeah. but... But I it it seemed to flow a lot easier for me yeah. the second time through, I, which I assume is because it had been kind of simmering in the back of my mind for so long. Yeah. When was the first time you saw it? In theaters. Oh, okay. So it, I think it's seven, so had, eight years had, ago, something had, like that. No, it came out in two thousand seven. So you had five years. Um, hmm. You had a couple days on me. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I can unambiguously say, watch it a second time. Do not watch it a second time within one year of watching it the first time. <laughs> watch it. Enjoy it, think about it, and then when 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 the time comes to revisit it, you know, go revisit it, but make sure that the calendar says something different. If uh, if we want to do like a slight recap at some point, I also have the graphic novel, which oh, which is based on the original. Yeah, which I believe was pre slashing the budget and all yeah. that. Just his original treatment that he wrote, he turned oh, cool. into. Did you a, re- have you read it? I haven't read it. I wanted to wait till we did this before I read it. But uh, oh man, I've really, really yeah. I, I read that that existed, and I'd love to take a look at it at some point. Yeah, so I'll have to read through it, and I'll let you read it. And then yeah. at some point we can talk about it in the yeah, future. Yeah, that that'd be really really cool. Um. So yeah, what what else do you want to say about the fountain? Um. 
No, I mean, I think we got pretty in-depth into it. Uh, I love the way it all ties together, since sort of listening to the soundtrack live was what brought me back into really wanting to watch it. Yeah. So I'll say that that didn't disappoint. Like, yeah. if you like big crescendo music and ridiculous uh, spectacle imagery, yeah, like, this yeah. is like, you know, the third act is mostly that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the third act is mostly that. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess that, that's all we've got on that next week. Um, we're going to be covering Groundhog Day. Yeah, the, uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. The early nineties, uh, Bill Murray starring Harold Ramis, uh, picture that I think in a lot of cool ways, hopefully is going to tie into, uh, the fountain with its questions of mortality and living in the moment and trying to bone zone Andy McDowell. Yeah. Um, we'll so see if it's more streamlined or <laughs> yeah, maybe, but, uh, yeah, join us next week for a discussion of Groundhog Day until then, uh, watch it again. See ya. See ya. <laughs>